reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory be to you, Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Traconis, and Lacinius, tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went to all the regions about Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to Lord Jesus Christ. The first lines of the gospel for today, they follow a certain pattern of uh, the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, whenever one of the prophets is announced, um, it's always in relation to uh, who has authority in Israel. So it includes, uh, you know, the kings and things like that. And so that's what happens when there is this announcement of a prophet. But it's interesting to note, and a lot of the commentators note, St. Gregory and a few others, they say that this is the first time that the civil authorities are mentioned as well. So it's not only uh, those who are in, have authority for the Israelites, for God's people, but also it mentions Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, and Herod. So all of these other authorities um, within that region and also, uh, so it's the civil authorities and the authorities of the people of God. And so what a lot of the commentators say is that this is because this new prophet, John the Baptist, is coming to preach a kingdom that is not just uh, directed towards God's people, the Israelites, but towards the Gentiles as well. So the extension now of this message that is coming from God, this good news, is going to all peoples. And so that's why it not only mentions those in authority in Israel, but even the authority of those of the greatest empire at that moment, right? And so then what happens is we have this image of John, uh, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And it's interesting that the word of God comes to him in the wilderness. The word of God comes to him when he is away from all of those distractions, when he is away from the busyness of the cities, when he has gone into the desert. We know from other accounts of his life that he is fasting, he is doing penance, he has a very hard life. 
but the word of God comes to him there in that stillness of the wilderness. But also what is beautiful is that it comes to him where it is dry, where it is, where it is desolate, and the word of God comes to him there. And so it's a beautiful image of what's going to happen now with the word himself, the word of the Father, as he will come to desolate uh, humanity, where he will come where there is sin, where there is no longer divine life, and he will be proclaimed in the wilderness. And so the prophets are not only prophetic in what they say, very often all of the details of their life are also prophetic for us. The things that they do, the places that they are, the things that happen to them, everything about their life is prophetic and can teach us. And so this coming of the word to John in the wilderness is also part of the beautiful mystery that we will celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation. God coming to his people, coming into the midst of this desolation and bringing divine life. And immediately what it says is, he went into all the region about the Jordan. So again, you have this movement of this proclamation of this word that is coming, not simply to one people, but to that entire region. It's going to explode out from this place. And he's preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Now, his baptism is not able to remove sin, but it is able to prepare for the coming of the Lord, to prepare hearts with contrition so that sorrow will enter into hearts and that they desire more the Savior that is to come. And it moves into these beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah, a prophet who is addressing the scattered northern kingdoms and giving them the hope of that return down to, uh, down to Jerusalem a return which he gives as an image of this victorious procession that will go through the wilderness where mountains will be, filled in, will, will be brought down and valleys will be filled in and all of the roads will be straightened as they return towards Jerusalem. But this is also a beautiful image of the incarnation. The distance that exists between valleys and mountains is a vertical distance, right? A valley is something that is low a mountain that is something that is high. And so this represents the distance that exists between us and God without his intervention, a distance that was not his will, but that was caused by our sin. And so because of original sin, there is now this distance which God does not desire, but which we have created. And this distance cannot be overcome by our own power. We cannot move from the depths of the valley of sin to the mountain of holiness without God's intervention. Heaven and earth after original sin are separated by an infinite distance, a distance that can only be overcome by an infinite God. And so because we are unable to rectify what has happened in sin, God himself will intervene. But because it was human nature that sinned, God is going to have to intervene through human nature. And so in the incarnation, what happens is this distance that exists between heaven and earth is brought together by Christ in the incarnation. God himself takes human flesh. And in the taking of the incarnation, he is able to do now what he cannot do as God. He cannot suffer. And so he takes our human nature upon himself in order to suffer and to die for us in order to repair what we have ripped apart, in order to overcome the distance that exists because of sin, 
And so this infinite distance will be overcome by an infinite act of love when God himself will die upon the cross for our sins. And so in the incarnation, we have this image of this mountain being brought low and this valley being raised up and this meeting between heaven and earth that happens in the incarnation, God becoming flesh. That is our hope. That is what we are looking forward to in this Advent and what we are preparing for in our own hearts and in our own souls. But it is also in his passion and death that this is also an image of, where sin is now not only something that the Lord has overcome, but it is something that he then works in souls. He restores souls. He makes souls righteous by his passion and by his death. And so his grace is able to come into the individual who receives his grace and is able to overcome that distance in all of us who will participate in his passion and in his death. And the way in which we participate is through the sacraments of the church, where we are restored, where that distance that exists between us and heaven is no longer there. When we step into grace through baptism, all of a sudden, the divine life is within us. Heaven is within us. We become temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of the very life of God. The Trinity dwells in us by grace. Heaven and earth are brought together. Mountains are brought down and valleys are raised up. God humbles himself and we are called through that act of his humility and through his suffering to be raised up to meet him. One last interpretation that I also thought was very beautiful and it does come from, I think it was St. Gregory. But he says, this mountain's being brought low and the valleys raised up also represents the life of virtue. Virtue is always the, in the middle, right? It's in the middle ground. And so what happens is on either side of a particular virtue, there's normally either an, a deficit <clears throat> or an excess. So for instance, the virtue of hope. There's a deficit of hope when someone might despair. That's a vice. Or there might be an excess where it becomes presumption on the other side. And so in terms of our salvation, sometimes people can despair of salvation, and that's not what we are called to. We're not called to give in to despair. But we're also not called to the opposite extreme of just presumption. I'll go through life presuming God will save me. So I do not despair of his salvation. I do not presume upon his salvation. I live in hope. I live in the virtue of hope. I live in that middle ground. And so what St. Gregory says is that life of virtue is the coming down of the excess of the mountain and the raising up of the deficit of the valley and that meeting in the middle ground to that life of virtue. I think that's also an image of then what it is for the crooked ways to be made straight. A crooked way is simply a way that is too long for the journey itself. What could be a simple journey from here to there because of a crooked way becomes an unnecessarily long journey. And so also by God's grace, the things that were unnecessarily long can be done more simply by that same life of virtue. Rough ways are made smooth. Rough ways, meaning difficult to, tra tra to traverse. They are also made simple and smooth by God's grace and by his assistance. 
And so virtue is not something that the Lord simply imposes on us by His will, just saying, be virtuous. The Lord gives us His grace, animates us from within. His divine life and His love is within us by grace. And so He doesn't just simply say, be virtuous. He says, let me make you virtuous by grace. The Lord works in us to make us virtuous so that we do not fall into either extremes on either side of the virtues, but always walk in this middle ground, which is the virtuous life. And so just to summarize at the end, we can see that this beautiful message of the incarnation, as we've seen in the gospel today, is a proclamation not only to one people, but to all nations. It is a proclamation of a joy that what was rent asunder by sin is now brought back together in the incarnation through Christ. And that that union that he enjoys in his human nature is something that he extends to us because of his passion and death. The graces that he merited for us through his suffering and death, which we receive through the sacraments, then we can enjoy this same union that Christ has with the Father, that what he has by nature, we have by grace. We have a union with the Father in heaven because grace is within our soul. And so we enjoy the fact and we look forward to the fact of Christmas, but we celebrate it even now. This incarnate God who has humbled himself, has humbled himself even further, and he is with us here in the Blessed Sacrament. This uniting, this uniting point between heaven and earth, this union that we are looking for is right here. Jesus is here in the Blessed Sacrament. And this grace that we desire so that we can have this life within us is extended out to us through the sacraments. If we fall from grace, we go to confession and we are restored to grace. And then we are called beyond that as well, not simply to be in grace, but to pursue virtue so that as the excesses in our life are brought to that middle ground, that we can be ever more like Christ. Amen.